Introducing Wondersuite from Bluehost.com. Website creation is hard, but now with Bluehost, you can answer a few simple questions about your business and get a unique WordPress website or store right away. From there, you can customize your design, colors, and content. And Bluehost automatically helps you get found in search engines like Google and Bing. From step-by-step guidance to suggested plugins, Bluehost makes WordPress wonderful for everyone. Go to bluehost.com slash wondersuite. Today's podcast is presented by EPRA, the European Public Real Estate Association. Facing global megatrends like green transition and aging population, how will listed real estate contribute to a sustainable future and financial security for Europe? Hey everyone, welcome back to Politico's Davos Confidential, our pop-up podcast coming to you directly from the World Economic Forum in Davos, which is extra snowy this year. In fact, it's been a snowmageddon. People have had real problems even getting here. I'm Ryan Heath, the author of the Brussels Playbook column, and I'm speaking to you from the Intercontinental Hotel in Davos, where our executive editor, Matthew Kaminsky, and I have just been addressing a really eclectic group of people, from CEOs of shipping companies to change makers that are really changing vocational education through smartphones, and people who used to work in the White House, a real interesting mix of people, just like our podcast today. We have two interviews in today's show with Arantxa González, Executive Director of the International Trade Center, and Brett Solomon, a leading advocate for digital rights. But first, back at the Congress Center of the World Economic Forum, I spoke to Florian Ada, author of Politico's Morgan Europa column and my co-author this week of the Daily Davos Playbook. Hi, Florian. Hi, Ryan. Glad I finally reached you. It was quite a track today from our apartment to the Congress Center here where you're right now. Uh, did you take the shuttle or did you walk? No, I walked. Indeed, I walked. Right. Well... Yeah. <laughs> it took me more than 30 minutes to get here. It was less than two kilometers. So to give you a bit of context, uh, we're here in a glass-walled studio overlooking the main staircase in the Congress Center. Uh, so if you hear a bit of background noise, that's people bumping and moving and networking behind us. And uh, yeah, all I've got to say is the bits where I was walking here, I was slipping and sliding everywhere. So if you are physically coming to Davos, bring some serious boots, get some extra grips. Um, and yeah, that's our best advice to you. Now, we're about to kick off the forum officially, Florian. Uh, what's your first impressions? I just wanted to add that, you know, you think a car might be handy in this town, but uh, dream on. I was passing by a very, very long queue, uh, of, uh, several hundred meters that uh, I, I walked along. Uh, so there's uh, additional difficulties this year in Davos getting around. Indeed. But apart from that... Um, it still has been uh, a little bit quiet today. Uh, I just met a, a colleague, a journalist from Swiss television, who was desperately looking for a CEO to interview, or at least any C-suite uh, person. He couldn't find anyone. And he couldn't find anyone, obviously. Then he asked me. I, I couldn't help him either. Um, so, Sorry, uh, and you're our chief executive in our heart. <laughs> you're, you're the chief executive of hearts here at Politico. Um, we are, well, better than the Wall Street Journal folks. They got stuck in a gondola uh, this afternoon. So, um, yes, they clearly were enjoying a little bit of the skiing um, before everything got underway. Um, I think never had such an idea, right? <laughs> no. 
Well, there was actually an avalanche warning, and I was going to turn to Trump because we think it's going to be a bit of a Trump avalanche this week, but there was a real avalanche warning this morning, and uh, some police had to be evacuated from where they were stationed. Um, But let's turn to that uh, somewhat inevitable uh, avalanche, uh, President Trump. John Harris, Politico's global editor-in-chief, is running a session on Tuesday on post-establishment politics at 12.30, if you want to tune in on the World Economic Forum website. Um, What do you expect from that session, Florian? I think that that session is pretty much what uh, the big theme of Davos is about. Um, uh, of course, we journalists ask could it at the end be Davos, Trump's Davos, sorry, uh, or Merkel's Davos, the European Davos, the Indian Davos. Uh, but there's more to the question of who's up and who's down in this week here at this Alpine gathering. Um, there is a real fight on on the global stage between attackers and defenders or rejectionists and reformers of the uh, old world order, the centrist consensus that uh, that was built around. Uh, uh, that support places like Davos. That's exactly like what Davos. Davos was for. Well, uh, so it supported globalization until you know a few years ago. Let's say it was fraying, uh, and it shattered altogether in the Brexit and Trump vote. So uh, the question that we're going to address tomorrow, uh, we're going to explore that fight. Or John and his guests are exploring that fight, and look at the question that's behind that that's being asked in actually many government headquarters in all corners of the world. Is there a new middle ground on the contentious issue, say on? On trade, on immigration, is there a middle ground that accepts limits to open borders but still rejects nativism? So that's uh, the that's the question that uh, John's going to address tomorrow, and I'm very much looking forward to sit into that panel and and listen. Absolutely. Well, I think Emmanuel Macron shows that there is some possibility that that you can shape that kind of radical centre in some way. Um, He is one of the leaders who uh, has been arranging meetings uh, with President Trump. Um, What's the situation um, with other EU leaders? I mean, I find it a bit frustrating that it gets down to like, did we get FaceTime um, with President Trump? But obviously, it's something they all want if they want to dissuade him from a trade war, if uh, Theresa May wants to get that Brexit trade deal um, from 2019 onwards. So what's the state of play there? Um, uh, actually, there's, you know, um, Theresa May desperately wants that meeting. Others uh, would probably like to have one, but are not desperate for getting it. So uh, I guess the most interesting question to uh, to look at this, this week is, or one of the interesting questions on that level is uh, whether or not Theresa May is going to have her tete-a-tete uh, with Donald Trump. It um, will particularly play out uh, Badly for her if uh, Macron got a one-on-one meeting and she and she wouldn't. So, uh, but she's got the tapestry, Florian. She's, she's got, got the tapestry. She's got the tapestry, uh, indeed. <laughs> We'll be back with Florian for more Davos Gossip later. But now, let's get started with our first guest, Arantxa Gonzalez, one of the world's leading trade experts. I started by asking her why she comes to Davos each year. Well, uh, officially, because I co-chair the WEF uh, Council on the Future of International Trade and Investment. But also because I think we have to keep on making the point that international cooperation on trade is very important, uh, that international trade requires global rules, that it requires global engagement, uh, and that if we do it, everybody is going to be better off, that there is no way we can uh, open trade in a more effective manner and uh, adjudicate trade in a more effective manner if we go it alone. Mm -hmm. So I guess I'm making the point uh, that uh, would be dear uh, to many 
uh, in the Davos crowd, uh, the value of international cooperation and engagement, although these days it's not uh, to be taken for granted because there is another part of the Davos crowd that may be more sympathetic to going it alone, maybe going unilateral, maybe... Could, could that person be called Donald Trump? Well, I, I don't think, I mean... I don't want to uh, finger point because, I mean, I think there is like two uh, different visions in this World Economic Forum about uh, sovereignty. Mm -hmm. um, that's what's at the heart of this discussion. So what can we do uh, either within the World Trade Organization or through other measures? The EU has been working hard to try and reshape its trade defense instruments mm -hmm. to look at the behavior of China, for example. What could we do to make people feel more secure about the rules of the game in trade, so that you didn't have a populist backlash or you didn't see the whole system crash down? Well, I think we have to distribute better the benefits and the costs of uh, international trade opening. That's what we have to do. And thus is a big part of where the backlash is taking place today. It's called inequalities. And by the way, we talk a lot about inequalities, and we're going to hear a lot about inequalities in Davos, but we are not doing enough, and that's what's causing the backlash. Mm -hmm. um, and, of course, all of this crystallizes an in international trade, which is the visible part of globalization. Uh, it's the treaties that countries put to parliaments. But there is much more than that. There is technology. Mm -hmm. There is much more than that. There is the labor market. Yeah. There is more than that. Taxation. There is more than that. Skills. So all of this is what we have to discuss to make people feel that the growth that comes with trade opening is being fairly distributed. Mm -hmm. And is it fair to say you probably have to split it into two categories? It's how you open up trade and what's in the agreements, but isn't it also the domestic policies? So, for example, reskilling workers, how you distribute the wealth that trade might create. It's not really one or the other, is it? Absolutely right. We have to, And we have to deal with the two. We've got to do more inclusive trade policies. We have to look at the kind of trade policies that respond to today's needs, and we have to go beyond what we've been doing in the last uh, 40 years, which is mostly tariffs, and look at behind-the-border measures, regulatory uh, measures, standards, prudential rules, because that's where the efficiencies of opening will come from. But at the same time, we cannot stop there. And too often we've stopped there. We also now need more robust what happens after I sign the trade agreement policies. Mm -hmm. We need to be much more careful about uh, education. It's going to be the key to mm -hmm. empower the youth to take uh, the opportunities that come uh, with the digital economy. We've got to rethink social safety nets. Uh, it's not just how much we spend on social policies, but how we spend on social policies. Mm -hmm. This is a huge discussion, and if we don't do that, we will have a backlash on opening, on open markets, and frankly, on open societies. Well, here's a thought bubble that really just occurred to me right now, where I worked in digital for a number of years, mm -hmm. and what became clear is that it was connected to everything. You couldn't treat it as its own separate issue because the political consequences, the economic consequences, they were everywhere. I have a feeling trade is the same, where tech is experiencing a backlash, trade is experiencing a backlash, so maybe it just means that you have to consider it through all policy. Well, trade has been uh, facing a backlash for quite a while. Uh, the novelty is that tech is now facing a backlash. And I think the, the source of this backlash is the same. It's not enough to just simply open and sit down and wait for the consequences. You've got to regulate. You need to understand, especially in tech now, we need to understand if we make uh, information accessible, what kind of information are we making accessible, uh, to whom are we making it accessible, how we do make, make sure that the information we are conveying is not pure lies. So all of this 
is coming back to uh, coming back to uh, haunt us, and that's where we need to think in terms of what, how we are going to regulate all this opening. What kinds of rules of the game do we need to make it palatable to all, not just to the one percent? to the 99% too. It's very striking when you read uh, Oxfam's report released here at Davos, how much wealth is concentrating on very few hands. And that's what's causing the backlash. And it, this is where business also has a huge role to play in that discussion. I'm Rancho Gonzalez. Thank you very much for joining us on Davos Confidential. My pleasure. Now it's time for our second guest, Brett Solomon who proves it's not all about trade at Davos. He's the head of an NGO called Access Now. So um, Access Now is an international human rights organisation. Um, we essentially sit at the intersection of human rights and new technology. So we do a range of policy work, tech, advocacy, um, trying to bring the human rights agenda to all of these tech issues. But I'm here because, well, I was invited um, to sit on a couple of panels. And I think that whilst you have all of these, you know, incredibly important people with, you know, from government, from companies, etc., it's essential to have a civil society voice here and um, to have human rights um, perspectives and initiatives being inserted into those discussions because otherwise whilst all of these big decisions and discussions are happening if it's just a corporate and government engagement then um, citizens people around the world users of the internet four billion of us soon to be eight billion lose out and you've picked the right time because digital is just really rising up everyone's political agenda whether it's uh, threats around cyber attacks whether it's the fact that you can't grow your economy these days unless everyone is connected Um, and you're about to head up to speak to klaus schwab the forum organizer i hear what's your message to him well I, mean, I have a few things to say. I think the, the issue around cybersecurity is absolutely central. And in fact, the 2018 Global Risk Report that just came out this week from where? From the World Economic Forum, identified that cybersecurity, um, cyber attacks are the number one issue on the risk agenda, uh, which is extraordinary. We've been saying this as civil society actors for years. So I think making sure that as the cybersecurity agenda is being built, we have cyber commands all around the world being mm-hmm. established by governments. Um, and you know corporate policies, etc., that you actually build a rights-respecting cybersecurity framework mm-hmm. that it involves civil society actors, and that it's also systemic. Because what's happening now is the decisions that are being made are generational, and it's absolutely essential that the right to freedom of expression, to opinion, to association, and privacy are protected. That's one of, I guess, that's my key message to Klaus. And one of the things that we uh, don't talk about so much here at the forum, because it's uh, pitched very much as a big positive space for engagement, mm-hmm. but there's you know, I would say there's a, quite a few uh, dodgy regimes and actors that also come along to have discussions here. Yeah. Is there anyone in particular on a sort of your target list or your hit list as someone well, who's really I mean, I doing Donald the Trump wrong thing? Trump is coming, and I don't know how you want to frame that. Um, you tell me. <laughs> I don't know how you... Yeah, but, uh, you know, obviously that comes with a range of different uh, issues, um, from cybersecurity to net neutrality, which was just overturned in the US and hopefully will be re-overturned by the US Congress. Um, you know, issues around mass surveillance. The US government... And last week, the Congress just passed a reauthorization of Section 702, which basically gives the U.S. government the authority to, without a warrant, um, monitor and surveil the communications of every single person outside of America. 
Yeah, well, they, they've appointed that right to themselves. They've given uh, that right to I'm themselves. I'm not sure but anyone they, gave them they, that permission. They reauthorized yeah. that, and they yeah. also expanded that yeah. capacity. So I think, obviously, the U.S. government being here is something that is extremely important and needs to be um, spoken to, um, truth to power. Absolutely. Uh, and then, well, there's, a, there's actually, right behind us, right behind um, your shoulders where we're recording this podcast, there's an immersive um, cyber attack experience, and it's essentially narrated by NSA whistleblowers, actually. Right. And I thought, well, that's quite a uh, a bold move to yeah. have that sort of message at a forum when yeah. there are so many U.S. delegates here. Yeah. So, I mean, I think one of the things about, one of the reasons why I'm here, and we discussed this amongst our team and amongst our community. In fact, I wrote to our whole community of 200,000 people around the world and said, what should I say? And so I have this agenda, which is the mm-hmm. cybersecurity one on internet shutdowns on a national biometric ID. And I want to um, use the opportunity to you know, speak to people who we wouldn't normally get to speak to, obviously. So as you say, heads of state from governments and also from, from democratic states and non-democratic states, <laughs> um, CEOs of companies and so on. So I think there's a real opportunity, um, but it's essential for me that we also stay true to the human rights community. You know, even though we're in the context of all of this, like inverted commas, power, that we use the voices of users at risk and we bring them into these decision-making platforms, um, as I say, because otherwise it just becomes a corporate government um, cabal and you end up with the user and the citizen losing out. Absolutely. Well, more power to you. A sparkling water on me later in the week then. No (laughs) champagne for us. Uh, And good luck with your meetings. Thank you so much. Now it's time to let you in on a Davos horror story. Now, this town and this forum is known as being glamorous and impossibly elitist. But for many people, actually, it's just a high-class school camp. It's full of endless little social hierarchies and humiliations. And the best one we've come across so far is a middle middle management guy here. He was um, coming to Davos to guide his CEO around, one of the early arrivals, and he booked himself into an Airbnb studio. Cost 450 euros a night. That's the good bit, folks. On arrival at Davos Station, his host told him he'd be staying illegally in said studio, then proceeded to ask him if he had a girlfriend. You know, weird, but, you know, manageable. Uh, Then it turns out that the host was staying in the next room, barged in on our source five times in the first hour of checking in, um, and the source had to run away very quickly into an Uber. Now... Florian being Davos, that Uber was a Tesla X, the one with the Batman doors that open up vertically. And uh, you won't be surprised to learn that it cost 45 euros to go four kilometers. But the story did have a happy ending. After putting out an SOS alert for a bed, uh, another one of this guy's contacts um, had a colleague who was ill and skipping Davos. So our friend got a full refund by Airbnb. He loved that. Uh, and a free hotel in Davos. Uh, so that's a little alpine miracle out of that horror story. Um, now, what about some parties and experiences? Shall we move on to parties? Let's do it. Every day has a night in Davos. Of course, uh, Monday was Ukraine night. Tuesday will be Thailand night. Woohoo, I love Thai food. Yeah, the range from sad to near bribery in terms of the gifts and the booze on offer uh, is, of course, uh, uh, something that, you, that you'll that you experience yourself. We don't take any bribes here at Politico. You know, you're going to have to give us more than a glass of champagne to get anything out of us. Uh, now, any old organization can throw on a little party with a glass of champagne in some cramped hotel. But actually, what caught my eye so far at the forum are the artistic and the technological experiences. There's some really great art around the place. And my pick today was a 360-degree immersive cyber attack documentary. It's called Zero Day, and it was about the Stuxnet attack that sought to disable Iran's nuclear program. And the content was just 
amazing like it's really well done but i didn't uh want to focus on that what i really took away was going through that experience i just thought how much could virtual reality revolutionize the way uh school learning takes place how students could understand issues so much better than words on a page if they could have those sort of experiences and that might be years away but i really saw that clear potential and that gave me a little smile on my face uh, here today in davos So on that note, thank you for listening to the latest episode of Davos Confidential. If you want to register for our Davos playbook, go to register.politico.eu forward slash Davos playbook. And we'd be very happy to give you our insider's guide to what's really going on up the mountain that's a bit more elaborate than this podcast. Thanks for listening. Tired of ads barging into your favorite news podcasts? Good news. Ad-free listening is available on Amazon Music for all the music plus top podcasts included with your Prime membership. Stay up to date on everything newsworthy by downloading the Amazon Music app for free or go to amazon.com slash news ad free. That's amazon.com slash news ad free to catch up on the latest episodes without the ads.